well, well, well. This is Aiden Jones. Hello. You're listening to Sitting Under a Tree, Tuesday the 10th of September 2019. What better way to prep for my podcast today than to watch a bunch of videos on Instagram of <laughs> of dudes on drugs munting the fuck out. Man, there's one. What's that fucking site? Um, oh, fucking, why does my phone not recognize my fingerprint anymore? Every now and then, my, like, I feel like either my phone's deteriorating or I'm becoming an unperson, you know? Um, it's Pink Mitsubishi. Yes. If you're not on it, go on. Uh, it's at Pink Mitsubishi's uh, on Instagram. And it's just videos of, of <laughs> mostly dudes just gacking the fuck out. Um, just like, you know, on gross amounts of drugs, like chewing their faces off and shit. And uh, there's one... <laughs> There's one video of, it's like at one of those day parties, you know, so like it's full daylight and there's house music playing. It's the kind of party where like dudes with all tattoos all over their backs are rocking like a bum bag, but it's like a bum bag over their shoulder. Do you know what I mean? Like it's over one shoulder, so it's across their front. I don't know what that look is. She's fucking gross, man. And it's like, where is your shirt? Did you just leave the house without a shirt on? If that's the bum, like if you've got the bum bag on, then that means that that's all of your shit that you came with. You're not like if you if you're gonna take your shirt off and put it in the corner, surely you're putting the bum bag in the corner as well. Oh, maybe not. But why? You, just put your fucking shirt on, man. <laughs> well, like tie it around the bum bag thing. Who's taking their shirt off and then leaving it in the corner? Like that's such a burden to carry on you, but still carrying a bum bag around their fucking front. Do you know what I mean? So it's if that's the, like surely that logic holds. I think. And if so, and then their shirt's not just in a corner, have they just left the house with no shirt on? Like, that's the fashion. We're going to a day party today. We're just going to go with no fucking shirt on. I guess that's why you go to the gym. Those guys will go to the gym so hard, so they're like, I'm going to show off more fucking pecs, bro. I'm going to show off like, I go gym five, six, seven days a week, eight days sometimes, because they're stupid. They don't know how many days are in weeks. Eight days, I go to the gym too far, I'm not, I'm not going to the gym to wear my fucking shirt at a day party, do you understand, that's why I'm taking my shirt off, but I have the bum bag there, so, so it is a horizontal line to accentuate the levels to which my pecs are attenuated, <laughs> is that the right word, I don't know, what I'm trying to say is you're fucking idiots. All of you cunts going to day parties. And there's one of the videos is um, you can't tell whether the <clears throat> whether the guy who's the subject of the video is with this other dude. But basically starts off looking at this one guy and he's off his head and he's got the no shirt with the bum bag vibe over the shoulder. And then it pans just slightly to the right and he's staring at another taller, more alpha man just making out with a woman in a bikini. And he's just standing there looking at them. <laughs> and it's it's one of two things. And I don't know which is sadder. Either, either he is standing there looking at them making out and he's so gacked that he just doesn't even realize that he's staring. Like he's just on so many drugs that it's stripped away all the layers of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's stripped away all the layers of like embarrassment or like social norms where your brain tells you don't stare at those people because everyone can see you. So it's stripped away like every, every way that he knows how to behave. 
and all that's left is his base primal urges that you can see they're laid bare in him staring at this guy making out with this woman. Like, you can almost see that he's like, oh, I wish that was me making out with her. But it's not. It's a, it's a like, it's a bigger, stronger, more ripped. It's a man who's more what you're trying to be than you are doing the thing that you want to do. So there's that. Or he's not that high at all. He's actually quite sober. And that's just his mate. And, he, and he's just like, doesn't know what else to do because he's not with anyone else. And he's, so he's just watching his mate make out with this woman <laughs> and like waiting for them to be able to go. <laughs> um, what's going on here with my fucking recording? God, my computer's such a piece of shit. I don't know which one of those is sadder. Either he's waiting for his mate or he's so high that he's looking at a random person. Or maybe he's really high. The saddest one would be both if he's so high that he's staring going, I wish that was me. And also it's his friend. And like he's jealous of his friend. Like that's their dynamic, you know? Like he's always the small man. But he doesn't... He, he's not like... He's not like confident in himself yet at this point in his life enough to be able to be his own person. He's still trying to be like the same person that his friend is, you know? But he's never going to be that person. So, But rather than being his own person, he's just a pale imitation of, of someone else. And everyone obviously can tell because he's the one standing there watching his friend do the thing that he wants to do. It's like, dude, just fucking go start doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> Why don't you find your own thing that people will like, you know? And then you can then you can be not that person, but a different kind of person. You can be like wear a beret, and some girls want to fuck the guy wearing the beret. You find those girls rather than trying to fuck the girls at the day party, huh? <laughs> I saw a lot of myself in that guy. Is what I'm trying to say. Maybe me at 18, going like, all right, I'm gonna wear the cool shirt and the cool sneakers, and and fucking have my hair all done, and then I'm gonna go to the club and and make out with, with all the girls, and then I get there, and there's all dudes that have got better shoes, and better shirts, and, and better hair, and then I'm just in the corner going, whoa, <laughs> is everyone ready to go home yet? <laughs> oh, man, um, today on the podcast, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have Riley Quinn, my good friend, uh, and co-host of the Trash Future podcast, um, go and check those guys out on, on Twitter, if you've got Twitter, if you're on Twitter, I mean everyone has Twitter, but some people just aren't active participants. Um, Riley went to Oxford University uh, just for a year, um, but the Trash Future podcast that he co-hosts is, um, it's like, a, it, I always describe it as a left-wing socialist, like political podcast, but it's got a... Um, it's, it's comedy as well, but it's comedy for people who are very politically engaged and like who, who are up to date on the soap opera and all the characters in, in the political game. Do you know what I mean? Um, if you're not, you can still enjoy it and I've still listened to some. And Riley, what, the reason I wanted to interview Riley is just because he's fucking one of the smartest dudes I know. And uh, he has this way of arguing points and saying things that immediately I'm just like I don't even want to engage in the argument I would never try and win an argument against Riley because 
he can just argue so well. And whenever he speaks, I'm immediately like, I don't want to disagree with you right now because I'm intimidated by the confidence, the intellectual confidence that he has. And uh, we kind of talked about that and how going to Oxford and, and Oxford and Cambridge and the way that they teach their kids kind of gives people that confidence. And uh, he had some very interesting thoughts about that and about the way that that uh, kind of informs like the political leaders in the UK um, and the upper class. And, uh, and he just talked about the podcast. I don't know, man. I just basically, I asked Riley a bunch of questions and asked him to explain things to me. And uh, he's a very engaging speaker and he's a very intelligent dude. And I really enjoyed sitting down and having that chat with him. Um, you're going to hear that in a second. Where am I? I'll just quickly, I'm in Dublin at the moment. Um, I've been dreading this trip to Dublin, to be honest, and to Ireland in general. But I'm in Ireland until uh, next Friday before I go to Eindhoven for a show. And I just, I've not been looking forward to it. Not because I don't like Ireland, but... I guess because of some of the stuff that I was saying last week and I've felt like this trip is not something that I'm looking forward to. It's comedy and I'm doing comedy and I'm not getting paid that much for any of the shows. So it's like I'm doing comedy here, but yeah, it just, I've been, this trip for me has been looming in the future as and lose a bunch of money and I don't feel like I'm progressing that much in terms of the gigs that I can get and it's just kind of frustrating it's laying bare a lot of the frustrations that I have with where I'm at in comedy trade any career then all that means is you need to work harder and be better isn't that if I was a better comedian then I wouldn't be in these positions where I'm like why aren't I getting better gigs well you're not getting better gigs I guess for a bunch of reasons but what it boils down to eventually is that you're not so much better than everyone else that they have to give you the gig be so good that because at the end of the day i mean there are people in dublin who are way better than me at comedy and there are some that i'm better than them and whatever but like what am i trying to say even if i think if i it's hard to say sometimes i think if i lived over like okay if i moved to dublin i'd get better gigs because i'd always be around but then i live in melbourne and i don't get the better gigs in melbourne because I'm also not around there. <sighs> what am I fucking talking about, man? Anyway, I'm just frustrated at the gigs that I do and don't get in Dublin because I always come back and I get the same gigs. But then the gigs that I do get, I'm very grateful for. And you know what? I was Before I got here, I was like, oh, I'm going to Dublin and I'm fucking going to get these gigs and I've done them all before and I'm not getting... I uh, I got here and I did the gigs. Like I've, I uh, had a couple gigs yesterday and I forgot. These are great gigs. They're really good, man. Pop the cherry at Whelan. So much fun, both of them. And um, it just made me kind of stop and be like, you know what? Be fucking grateful for the gigs that you are doing, stupid. Because I still get to get better. So I am enjoying Dublin now. After after doing the shows yesterday and doing the show in my hostel, I did a show in uh, in Isaacs again, just like I did last year. And it was great. I did about 35 minutes comedy it was good i don't know what i'm complaining about i'm i feel very good today actually i feel really happy the sun's shining i walked about five minutes down the street and then remembered i had to record this intro and put this podcast out and i was like you know what i'm not even bummed normally that would really annoy me normally if i walked out of the house and was happy and excited to go and sit in a cafe and do some writing and then remembered that there was still something that i had to do before i could do that i'd be furious i'd be walking down the street and then i'd realize and be like you always forget these things you know <laughs> and uh <coughs> i felt a moment of that today 
And then I stopped and I was like, you know what? Who cares? You're fine, man. Just fucking go back, record the thing. It'll be 10, 15 minutes and it's done. And you know what? That's exactly what it's been. Get ready to listen to me and Riley Quinn uh, talk for about half an hour uh, about him being smart and politics and the Trash Future podcast. Um, Hope you guys enjoy it. And I'll catch you next week. Cheers. She answered out and wanted. We had a vacancy. We didn't know what was in the store, but we were soon to see. She plays records of the four skits at any given hour. She turns on the hot water tap while I'm in the shower. Night, the house is quiet. You might wonder why. But Punk's not dead. She's just gone to bed. Punk's not dead. She's just gone to bed. Couldn't give a damn about the friends of mine. Studs of bleach blonde spiky hair I say A for Abba She says A for Anarchy In the morning she says Never mind the volunteers Your cup of tea At night the house is quiet You might wonder why But Punk's not dead She's just gone to bed Punk's not dead I fucking I I, w- I will. It won't be soon, but it'll be next year. So that means I can fucking I can get really good. You can at get meta. real good, yeah. I, I mean, I'm really good at Civ Six already. I just play as Trajan and. Just... See, I don't know any. I've been out of the loop for. Okay. I legitimately haven't played games for maybe a decade. Like, Trajan's, a, for in my opinion, it's a weird choice to have. As Trajan's. Trajan what even is that. Trajan was like was the emperor. Uh, of Rome at its greatest geographical extent. Amazing. Um, so he was behind a lot of sort of pointless conquests in Dacia, which is now modern day Romania. Yeah. Um, so like all of the different sort of greatest extents of the Roman Empire, or at least the northern ones, mm-hmm. they all have like memorialized buildings. So like Hadrian's Wall okay, has been sure. further furthest north extent of the Roman Empire yeah, in yeah, yeah. Britannia. This is in Civ? You no. can build this in Civ? No, no, you no you're just talking about world history <laughs> yeah, I'm now. I'm just talking about stuff. It's <laughs> Trajan. This is, man, this is, this is kind of what I wanted. This is a perfect segue, to be honest. You know <laughs> so many things. <laughs> <laughs> but <coughs> the, way, the way that I see you is uh-huh. uh, Riley is... Okay, actually, before yeah. I do, tell people who you are. Yo, I'm I'm Riley from the internet. Yeah, what you do may. you what do you do? So yeah. I I host a podcast called Trash Future, which uh-huh. is a British lefty comedy show. Um, and Aiden's been on it a couple of times in the past. Uh, we talked about the housing crisis. Yeah, we, we talked did. about yeah. just some just some random pol- pol- politics, and we also did our show. Like a pure comedy show where we just shat the sh- shat the shit. We shat all of the shit. We shat on the shit. We shat on all the so shit. So you so you host a podcast I and I explain it to people. You, the way you explained it sounds very approachable. 
but the way I explain it to people, I think because the gulf in our knowledge is so vast, I explain it to people as like, yeah, I have these uh, friends, Milo and Riley, and they do this podcast, and it's like a socialist podcast where they explain politics and issues and things. That's kind of how I see it, because a lot yeah. of the stuff that you say goes over my head, but that's one part of who you are, yeah. and then the other part of who you are is that you went to Oxford, which is such an opaque world to me oh yeah which one um, of the do you feel like do you feel like going to oxford is a big part of who you are now no well no, no in as much as a lot of like i reacted against it pretty strongly because i just interviewed my friend robin perkins on my podcast and she went to harvard uh-huh but you would never know that she went to harvard from the way that she is and just the way that she and i guess i mean she's in her like 30s mm-hmm. so she's had more life Oh yes, I think like the 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 closer because basically here's here's my whole thing with Oxford, right? I went um, uh, number one, your the normal kind of Oxford degree that most like British people get that's especially hard to do is the undergrad, which is what Milo did at Cambridge. Sure. Um, I went for a grad degree, which is like a sort of everybody gets a trophy version oh, really? of Oxford because I went for a postgraduate degree. Okay, where did was, you do undergrad? Uh, I studied undergrad, my undergrad in Toronto, University uh-huh. of Toronto, okay. and I, then I went to m- get a postgraduate degree at Lenin School of Economics, uh-huh. and, th- and that was in international relations. Then I worked as a writer for a couple of years, and I wrote basically a number of like short introductory textbooks for a company that later became like purchased by Rutledge, an academic publisher. Wow. Um, so I wrote a bunch of those textbooks on international politics. No, no, whatever. Some on international relations. Was that more like copywriting, or do you mm. mean you're researching these books no, you're, and writing them yourself? You're researching them, but wow. you're not doing primary research. They're intro- they're basically introducing certain big ideas in the topic. Okay. So it's like a short introduction, something a student could pick up, read, and then understand what the debates around. Okay, like on. what? Like what's one of them? So like one of the one of the first ones I wrote was the international relations theories of this guy called Kenneth Waltz. Okay, he's one of the most famous scholars of the subject and a complete moron sure Um, (laughs) his whole thing was um any explanation of international relations that rests on complexity Mm -hmm. is going to be too difficult to apply in theory and therefore we shouldn't bother with it so he just said i'm going to have a theory of international relations that assumes states are all sort of like one another right individual leaders don't matter because all states have the fundamental same interest which is just surviving sure because they're in an anarchic world with no police force right yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just have to survive yes and so he had this theory of international relations which was saying like the only thing that in that determines state action is military power okay and states bounce off each other like billiard balls based on how much military power they have right the problem and he was basically creating this theory in the sort of it's like realpolitik yeah it was, it was called realism it was yeah. based yeah, on yeah, 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 yeah. so it was okay. based on that i know but this one even, all right i'm following so far still, it's even more abstract than real politic which says that individuals will be conniving sure realism which is the theory was like it's not even about how conniving you are. It's just about stacking States up are just the guns. Trying to cov- survive. It's just stacking up the guns and bullets, and then they'll bounce off of each other in, the, in this anarchic system like billiard balls. There's right. no inner workings, nothing. Okay. Um, and the thing about this, uh, this whole thing, this whole theory, was that it was simple, very elegant, very practical, and sure. completely wrong. Right. But that didn't stop people like the Rand Corporation and other like sort of defense think tanks in the U.S. from yeah. eagerly adopting it because... Because it's easy to explain yeah, to people. Not even because it's easy to explain to people because it's easy for them to grasp and easy to use to justify a gigantic military budget. Okay, sure. 
Yeah. So you wrote a textbook explaining this guy's ideas for people like at undergrad level university. Yeah, basically, yes. Wow. Uh, a sort of a sh- very short. So sort someone twenty thousand words. So someone contracted you. Yes. To do that. Yes. Gave you an advance, basically. So uh, you're like a published yeah. author. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's crazy. That's a very roundabout way of saying that you like wrote politics textbooks because the way that you explained it sounds like you're saying, well, someone employed me to do it, so I didn't really do it. But you did it. That's yeah. fucking wild, man. So I ended up writing like 20 to 25 of these things mm. at like sort of a 15 to 20,000 word length. Um, and and that's quite, that's very short. Yeah, yeah. very short. Yeah. Um, so it's like succinct yeah. writing, very approachable writing. You're not using a lot of jargon. You can't, yeah, because it's for introductory students. So I yeah. did, but I did that for two years. Yeah. And then I went to Oxford because my youth mobility visa had run out, and I needed a way to stay in the country. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's basically it. Wow. So okay. So you've you've got your degree yeah. there, and then you've been working for two years, but you need to go somewhere. Did you pick? Did you like? Were you always thinking like maybe I'll go to Oxford? Um, were you thinking to do well, more I'll, study at all? Or no, was it, not at all. You you thought you were done uh, with well, studying. I had I th- I did think I was done with studying. I always um because basically uh I I never really thought about going to Oxford or Cambridge. They were always just sort of fantastical, faraway places. Yeah, to me, totally. Especially like as a Canadian, um, and then living here in the UK. You live in a world in which they're held up as this magnificent thing that if you can just touch a part of, then you're one of like the special anointed people. Yeah. And I part of and and, you know, I'm not gonna say that sort of having that badge on me, you know. Yeah. It's been useful. Yeah. I mean, but I went for a just for a year. And I stu- and I realized I needed a visa long after every university had stopped accepting applications for their master's degrees. Wow. It was just that there was one that was open at Oxford for like th- basically the application of statistics to social <laughs> problems, um, which I'd never done before. Uh-huh. I had no idea how it worked, but I was like, well, I need a visa. So I just sort of did it. So you just went into that. Fly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then I did that for a year. Do you but use that stuff in like not now? At all. Not at all. Not at all. It was literally just a it's, degree it's, that you did. Yeah, it was a degree that it was. It served a purpose. Um, it was a strange, strange year of my life. Very strange. And so, so you, that's interesting because you are kind of coming at it from like an outsider. It almost feels like, um, like when I was talking to Robin, the way that she talks about Harvard. Like I was expecting to get some sort of inner workings thing. She studied architecture at mm-hmm. Harvard, and she said like the guest lecturers and things that they got were incredible. But it still felt like she felt like an outsider. Do you mm. feel like an outsider? Do you feel like you got in the club? I felt like an outsider in two different ways. Oh, uh, we got Kanye West talking at oh my uh, Oxford. God. It was incredible. He 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 rambled for an hour about <laughs> precisely nothing, and then he um he then he said all houses should be five thousand dollars what yeah that was the crux of his yeah that was the thrust of his speech yep wow yeah he and he did he it talk was, about that for the rest of the speech nope that was just <laughs> no, a fr- what was that he was talking just about for the rest of the hour just rambling nothing just like god just, and just, yeah just god and having painted fingernails <laughs> and the creativity <laughs> and like he you could tell he was just making it up as he went along wow. because he truly believes he's a genius yeah um but the th- weird thing was, and this is, I think, a little bit should go to show you a little bit about Oxford. Mm-hmm. People weren't going to that, I don't think, because they wanted to. They were curious about what Kanye West had to say. People were going to that because they wanted to feel superior to someone who, um, 
who is sort of seen as crass and has pretensions of genius. Uh, now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that's what I think the attitude of people at Oxford who were going to see that Right, so you, you, you thought that they were more going to be like, let's go and laugh at the famous idiot. I think that yeah yeah I yeah. mean I mean they I, feel that they're smarter than this guy even though this guy thinks that he's so smart and look even though I just said that his speech was a rambling nothing sure. because he's he is like he is a crazy person. yeah 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 he's a psycho um but and it became I guess it became clear to me that like I was like well in that case why why invite him it yeah, was very yeah. weird here's an interesting thing though because you even before said about that guy whose theory whatever dumb i you there's a confidence that you have uh in like scholarship or whatever that i went i studied politics at uni i didn't finish my degree don't tell anyone mm-hmm. but uh i still i studied politics and i remember reading these books and even if i didn't necessarily agree with the thing maybe i still I didn't even have the confidence intellectually to disagree with these people. I didn't either until I wrote all the books. Right. Yeah. And then you wrote all those books and you're like, well, I've written... What? Where, where do you reckon that confidence comes from? Um, I think it comes from sheer exposure to... It comes from sheer exposure to people writing and people disagreeing with them because you have to really get in to understand all of the critics all of the all of the critics of these big ideas and what they said and who they were criticizing and so on and you begin to do what i think a lot of universities fail to teach you when they just teach you here's this theory and here's this theory and mm-hmm. here's how they disagree they sort of with this hand holding yeah as um they teach you in a way that doesn't lend you intellectual confidence because you don't really have to work much out for yourself it's very paint by numbers sure that's one thing in terms of um the the whole oxford thing that's one thing that I think is quite valuable about it, which is that's not how teaching there proceeds at all. Um, you're given multiple essays to do every week for different tutorials, which tend to be one to two on one. So one yeah, professor yeah, yeah. to one to two students. Wow. Um, which you oh then you write the essay and you then have to defend it. And you get sort of more points for being interesting and original than you do for going through the motions. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that people from Oxford and Cambridge are so ludicrously intellectually confident is because they're basically given a sort of book boot camp, if you will. But also the other reason, there's no, because things are very rarely simple. That's not the only reason that they're intellectually confident. A lot of them are intellectually confident because the social function of Oxford and Cambridge in the UK is to signal elite intelligence. Sure. So they're also intellectually confident because people presume. Because people keep telling them that they're smarter than everyone. Well, because people presume that they're right. Yeah. So if everyone presumes that you're going to be right, you won't be particularly shy about sharing your opinion. Sure. Because then other people, the burden of proof is on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because straight away you walk into a room and you went to Oxford, so everyone's got to listen to you. In a sense, yeah. It's just not... And it's so unhealthy for the country. Sure. Like this, if you want to know one of the main reasons our politics are so fucked, it's because literally our entire political class didn't even go to Oxford and Cambridge. They mostly just went to Oxford. Yeah. Um, and they're skilled, confident rhetoricians who are more interested in being interesting than being right. Yes. So we just have this system that produces... Oh, and they mostly they're all from the same public schools, right? Sure. So they're public all, schools are the good ones. Those are the private. Those are the super elite private yeah, schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Australians, we call them public school over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right. So this is what it creates. But while I was there, I kind of felt like a double outsider, because, um, 
I was a graduate student, but because I like, but because I had also skipped grades in my earlier education, mm-hmm. so I finished university, my first degree, my four year degree at the age of twenty. Yeah. Um, and then. I, so I was at, also very common for people in the UK to take like gap years and stuff yeah. or whatever. So a lot of the oldest undergraduates are like 23. Sure. So I was around the same age as them as the older undergraduates. Even though, But you'd had a couple of years in yeah. the workforce as well. I, the, the barely working force. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> and so, so, so what it means is I, so my, my girlfriend was um, at the time was an undergraduate. And so I was also friends with lots of her friends and more sort of socially connected to what you might call the real Oxford, as opposed to this sort of ersatz graduate Oxford. What's ersatz? Sort of false effect simile. Okay. Made to made an imitation of. Right, right, right. Like um, Disneyland has like an ersatz Paris. Oh yes. Okay. Okay. Sure. So So some people who maybe went to Oxford but they didn't. The graduate. The graduate experience of the the postgraduate experience of Oxford yeah. tends to be a finishing school for wealthy Americans who want to stamp Oxford on, on their the CV. thing, but they don't actually get yeah. to be led into the inner sanctum or whatever. Well, or well, they don't, they don't get the, the, they don't get as much of the tutorial system. Mm-hmm. They don't get the three years. They also don't get the, it tends to be mostly international students at the graduate level, whereas sure. a lot of the elite English students, uh, English well British students, uh, and that's where you're making the connections. Exactly earlier yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, because so, I noticed that you guys have all these people that you're like, like comedians, like I hear Shah, Olga Koch, people that you're like, eh, we we went to Cambridge, went to Oxford. Olga was at NYU actually. Oh, okay, but yeah, I hear Pierre. Um, Alex Keeley, who's going to be coming yeah. on for Balthazar Speedboat later. Yay! Uh, yeah, Keeley, finally together at last. The Taco went. and the Keeley. <laughs> they all went to they all went to Oxford or Cambridge. Um, also, yeah. it's because the performing arts in the UK are incredibly middle class. Mm-hmm. Because in Oxford and Cambridge al- exist a lot of the in- institutions like the Cambridge Footlights, the yeah. Oxford Review, or whatever. That then pr- mostly the Cambridge Footlights that then propel you into a lot of those jobs that are also held by those elite figures. Sure. So that's why comedy in the UK tends to have such a middle-class bent. Edinburgh especially. Especially at Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because not only do you have to self-finance a great deal of it, um, because if you, because there's... But the most of these jobs are for big, prestigious institutions yeah. like the BBC or whatever, yeah, 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 yeah. because it's so the market's so centralized and it's so controlled by people who want to hire people like themselves. So you go to you go to Oxford. I you do. do one year yeah. masters. You finish. Yeah, that serves the purpose of you staying in the UK. Yeah, then I'm able to stay in the UK for a longer. Did you time. want to keep doing that job that you were doing before? Yeah, I just wasn't able to. Um, for okay. a, for a variety of reasons, mostly to do with um, the visa system that it doesn't bo- it doesn't warrant getting into here. Why do you Why do you have the idea to start Trash Future? Uh, I'd been doing stand up comedy for a bit, so I did stand up yeah, at Oxford. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I kept doing it in London because I was sort of bored. And after just endless, endless, endless um, mic nights and t- with sort of the world's worst people are open mic comedy oh, yeah. bookers, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just per- doing sort of the same five to seven minutes to the same sort of one of a rotating cast of like, you know. Oh, it's the most depressing thing in the world. Comedians. Expect London open mic especially is a nightmare. Mm. Worse than anywhere I've ever been. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want to fucking do this. And there's no reason anymore now that things like podcasting exist yeah. to bother with doing mics. I could do something where I actually build an audience where I don't have to rehash the same material over again to polish it up that I could have more fun with. 
And I was looking at podcasts in the U.S., sort of like Chapo Trap House, that were taking this like super irreverent lefty comedy thing sure and doing very well with it and i basically thought someone could do something not entirely dissimilar for britain yeah um it would have to be you know substantively different or else it's just doing british chapo essentially yeah, which is yeah, the model yeah. for trash future i mean yeah there's totally. no secret that chapo is the model for trash future um but i think it has become especially sort of as it has matured and gotten its own voice distinctive yeah i mean it's a, it's it's so crazy to me like i see you guys a few times a year and i get on your pod and whatever but it's a completely different what like there seems to be like a whole culture is this podcasting subculture for you do you have um connections with podcasts that aren't like left-wing things um that's actually sort of more about how the, the british and you and u.s media work it's the way that british media works Podcasts are thought of. I like, could listen to you talk about this stuff forever. <laughs> like, why is that? I don't know because you're so. This is the this is the intellectual confidence thing, I guess. I can ask you the vaguest question, and you're like, right. Let me break it down for you on a socio political level. Why I don't know anyone from a cooking podcast. Like, <laughs> it's like that's real. That's what you learn at Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, that's a key thing you learn there because that's how you survive tutorials. Is you just you just start talking? Well, you don't start talking, but what you have is you have a few for any tutorial you might do. You have a few big ideas, and you know how to match those big ideas to certain questions. Sure. And so, for example, this question about I have a big idea about concentration of media in the U.S. versus the U.K. Okay. And your question that about... That is, it kind of defines you, you're saying. Well, it's, it's, just, it's, or it's one of the things that you really are interested in. Not even so much that, but like, well, if you just, if you spend a lot of time thinking about something, you'll have a sort of organizing concept. Yes. So my organizing concept for talking about the U.S. and U.K. media is diffusion. So, or news media, entertainment y media yeah. is different. The U.K., um, and because the U.K., um, comment news and especially podcasting media is so concentrated in london among a few big institutions whatever whereas in the u.s it's very diffuse among a larger market sure um you can then trace a lot of the um if you like um uh, like ephemeral outcomes of that things like what what is your relationship with other kinds of podcasts and so on you can connect that to a larger explanation based on understanding thematically that this big idea of media concentration mm -hmm. fits with your question about podcasts so you because your podcast is independent yeah rather than produced through the bbc yeah or is well, there anyone else who produces podcasts in the uk yeah there are there are many podcasts but i think oh, no, but like a big yeah overall because yeah. i know the bbc has so much funding sure. so if you want well, to get a even, podcast it's not just that they have funding it's that the uk I think has has this sense that there are right and proper ways to do things. Many people do. Yeah. And the right and proper producers of media, this is because of its culture of deference as well, are these big concentrated institutions. Right. Like the BBC or Channel Four. So if you want to get if you want to do a podcast and if you're serious about it, you should go to the BBC and pitch it to them. Yes. Yeah, because like, that's how you do it. Or even then the BBC would have an idea, one of their grandees, and then yeah. ask sort of someone <laughs> like, Oh, we want to do a vegan cooking show. We're gonna ask deliciously <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ella or yeah. whatever. And it's all of these all of this sort of shuffling around of elites. Yeah. Um, and the thing about us is that we are actually most of our audience is American. Uh huh. Uh, we don't know a lot of other UK podcasts who aren't like lefty podcasts as sure. well, um, because 
mo- the UK hasn't fully understood podcasting yet. Sure. There are the independent ones, not many of them, some of them, but not many of them have gotten huge, with the exception uh, being my dad wrote a porno, which is like globally successful. Yeah. Oddly enough, I know the guy whose dad wrote the porno, but not through podcasting, just huh. because we have a mutual friend. Wow. Well, um, but that's an outlier. Yeah, that's an outlier. Whereas most especially comment comment podcasts would be produced by someone like the BBC or whatever. Yeah. whatever. Um, and they think of it as a substitute for radio, another distribution channel for radio, sure. which is not what podcasting is. It, podcasting, the hosts of the podcast tend to have a much more social, almost, it's called a parasocial relationship, with para you know, meaning otherwise or different, okay. social meaning social, mono means one, and rail means rail. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> and... And, and what you end up with is... So, so you're saying that the, the hosts of the podcast are kind of like uh, they celebrities? They feel like your friends. No, they feel like, like your friends. Yeah, they're okay, not, they're sure. specifically not celebrities. It feels... The listenership of a podcast feels like right, one it's big much group. more level. Yeah. Because you get it on your own terms. You don't have to tune in on their schedule, maybe. Yeah, partly Something it's that. Like that. But also it's that podcasts can be so hyper-focused because they're not limited by, say, radio bandwidth. Sure. And so this means that I, 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 I can make something that's super particular to me... And that is, and that someone else can like because it's super particular to them. And the medium is also much more, again, not always, but more frequently about people talking to one another uh-huh. rather than me talking to you, the listener. So it feels like you're sitting in a, around a table with yeah, friends. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, any case, so we have many more connections with American podcasts. Because be- you guys are kind of doing it independently rather than going hand in hand to the BBC. Yeah, because we're, well, we're, we're doing it independently and we, as part of growing our listenership. We have more partnerships with more insurgent podcasts like insurgent, insurgent media podcasts. podcasts and there are more of those in the states than yeah. here yeah, yeah quite yeah. simply um so I, th- I but you see almost we could just to yeah, sort of go yeah, back yeah. to the oxbridge yeah. thing which i know you're interested yeah. in if you could take all of that explanation back to what to why that works as connecting a big idea about media concentration right off the bat to a question yeah you can see how you can even sort of make it up as you go along, but talk with total confidence. Totally. That's exactly how the bullshit of the British press and upper class in general works. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. where they learn how that to is, do it. If you start talking straight away without questioning yourself mm. and just keep going, they go, oh my God, he had the answer so quickly. And yeah. It's like, no, you didn't have the answer that quick at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I didn't have any answer. It's incredible, man. <laughs> who, would your, um, who would your dream guest on the podcast be? Oh, that's a tricky one because we have to think, well, what do we have them on for? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to have Brett Stevens on from the New York Times. Okay. Um, is he a writer? Uh, he is a conservative op-ed columnist who deleted his Twitter account when some just rando guy uh-huh. called him a bed bug, didn't even tag him. He name searched, saw that com- someone called him a bed bug, and then wrote a letter to the guy's boss. Uh-huh. Um, and then everyone started making fun of him. Then he deleted Twitter and then he went on MSNBC and said that... Uh, actually, uh, many totalitarian regimes compare their undesirables to insects, so I find this very scary. Oh. And then wrote an article where he said that this is just like the Holocaust. Wow. I want to talk to him for an hour and he can't leave. <laughs> I just want to know what goes on. Because the the I'm imagining that in your scenario, the Dream Podcast guest... Like, they have to stay for the... There's no one forcing him to stay, but yeah, they would sure. stay for the whole or just hour. just someone who you're interested to talk to. I want to know exactly what he thinks about uh, his own position in society, the importance <laughs> of what he does. Like <laughs> Why I, it's important that why, someone called him a bed bug. Like, what, 
what he believes threatens him. Yeah. Why he believes that um that he is a a, a persecuted minority. Sure. Um, because you just, never get to you never get to answer those questions normally yeah. in your life. Yeah. People like that drift on through and then they leave and you just go, I wonder why I'm never gonna find out yeah. what that fucking guy's deal was. You yeah. know. When I, mean, I, I can spec. I love speculating about what his deal yeah, is. Yeah, 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 totally. But, oh, you can make up a it, whole life. It would for be such a thrill to yeah. actually get to try and just just find out how his brain works for yeah. an hour. And if not him, then Donald Trump Jr. Sure, because Donald Trump Jr. is um, like he's always has a big, completely open mouth smile on. Okay, and he posts on his Instagram. His Instagram is a worth worthwhile follow. He posts a lot of like gigantic like gigantic watches but not fancy ones like dumb skull ones uh-huh. or like big belt big belt buckles with suits and like he's just a, a, a happy doofus who's one of the most powerful people in the world yeah incredible whose entire job is basically just like a a fucking um like a busy town playmobile set where he's just sort of kept busy by a group of attendants and he has i, I want to know what his experience of the world is yeah like. yeah yeah totally because i'm i'm I feel like I'm in a position where most people I'd like to I'd like to speak on to on the podcast by some effort I feel it would be possible to get them to come on. Sure. Like you it sounds like you're not looking for people who uh in real life I am. Yeah. In real life I'm very much looking because the basis of trash future isn't the comedy doesn't come from disagreement it comes yeah. from one-upmanship. Yeah, sure. Um I I wouldn't really but because yeah, I, it's, I, from what I was going to say, is it sounds like you're looking for people who you disagree with, or maybe don't disagree with, but don't necessarily share the views of the podcast at all. I'd They're only, not left leaning. No, I'd only be interested in them types. as like an anthropological study. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like who? I'm more interested to sort of be. I'm less interested in what Brett Stevens thinks than who he is. I don't know who Brett Stevens is. This oh, columnist guy. Oh, sorry, this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or like how Donald Trump Jr. I just want to know like. What's his day like? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know? you, what, what, what worries Donald Trump Jr. Have between you had like any, two and three? Have you had any of these right-wing types on? Nah. Nah. Wouldn't be funny. Wouldn't be funny? It would be more, but only for the super famous ones. Yeah, okay. Would it be funny? And that's only as an anthropological you don't exercise. Think more the more more of like... No, because uh, we just argue. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I guess it'd just you get could, angry, wouldn't it? If you want to see like leftists and conservatives yeah, argue, you can go anywhere. Yeah, 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 that's you know? true. Because that's true. The, the, a lot of, in fact, we can talk about this as well, a lot of these like legacy <laughs> media institutions, yeah. they fetishize this idea of balance, yeah. that there is there are these two opinions and that somewhere between the two of them lies a correct answer. But like that is bis- <coughs> that fetishization of balance sort of always redounds to... Um, to the conservative point of view, because, um, well, because wait, in- inherently because the conservative point of view tends to be about look at what we have, let's not change it. Totally. Or the conservative point of view says here is the accepted wisdom, let's yeah. adhere to the accepted wisdom. Because look at the results and the proof. Yeah, or even, but the conservative movement has has also been revolutionary itself. Like yeah. for example, Reagan and Thatcher weren't keeping what we had. They were saying we're going to we're going to reach national greatness by applying some accepted wisdom of economics. Sure. And then other the then areas, their heirs uh, yeah. have been saying we have to preserve what Reagan and Thatcher did. Yeah. So conservatism isn't just about isn't this um 
you familiar with Edmund Burke? No. Edmund, Edmund, no. Edmund Burke was... Is that was, the dude who went into the desert in Australia and died with his camels? Maybe there was someone called Edmund <laughs> no, Burke who died in Australia. His name was something else, Burke and Wills. I was so, making a joke. Ed, a lot of conservatives like to think that their philosophy is like that of Edmund Burke. And sure. he was a an Anglo-Irish um, like polemicist in the 18th century who wrote this book that a lot of like students like a lot of like poli sci students would read called reflections on the revolution in france sure and it was all about how horrified he was at the french revolution this was even before the terror just like at the concept of the french revolution okay because he was basically saying look you might not like the the monarchy but at least it's the devil you know if you overthrow it and do and create a republic then who knows what problems you'll face um, instead, we have to understand that society is a whole. It's too complex to understand. Wow. So all so of just these keep it how it is because it's working fine. Change it so gradually yeah. and with the consent of all of the elites. Yeah. He didn't say consent of all the elites, but he said with the consent all of, of all the established institutions but, but or whatever. Elite, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah because yeah. it's like, oh no, we have to preserve those institutions for posterity. Yeah. Now, of course, if your institutions are like slavery, yeah, then preserving Probably that for posterity good. is a crime against humanity. Sure. So, like, but Burke always sort of tends to ignore these kinds of things in his bigger works. Yeah. Um. So a lot of conservatives like to talk about how they're the sensible ones. They're like Edmund Burke. They're like, no, we can't eliminate any of these old institutions because. Well, because, because we have to preserve because them they're the, the same. Generation. Because we know, well, it's like better the devil you know than the devil yeah. you don't know. It's like kind of the argument. Or even just like, no, they're great, actually. You yeah, love them. yeah, yeah. You know, so that's, that's why conservatives were always, all the conservatives now who are saying, um, we're so for racial equality that we think that discrimination against whites is the worst, is now very bad because we're for yeah, racial equality. Of all of these people, if you teleport them back in time 150 years, would be like, no, we need to keep slavery because the Africans are sort of genetically, they wouldn't say genetically, e yeah, the Africans yeah, yeah, yeah. are like children and they need us to be the masters of them. They'll always be defending some repugnant institution. It just depends what language they use. Yeah. Now, the thing about, so going back to this idea of, of balance, um, and the idea is that because conservatives tend to go with accepted wisdom or existing institutions, anyone obsessed with balance will sort of say, well, the, bur the burden of proof is on the person who's going against accepted wisdom. Sure. And so that's why the, when the BBC has, has on someone from like a, about a Brexit debate, for example, or a climate change debate even. Yeah. Um, they'll have to have someone on from like a dark money institution or whatever who says e climate change isn't real or climate change isn't a problem or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then because they're arguing from the point of view of let's keep doing what we're of doing. The status quo. Yeah. Let's keep doing what we're doing. It's fine. Um, and, and then they have someone on who say maybe a climate activist who has reams and reams of data uh -huh. that never produces, it seems, enough reasonable doubt in the neutral institution's mind or in the neutral institution's culture uh -huh. that we're able to get over it and establish an actual truth. Sure. And so it's so because the left is a lot about the establishment of new things. Uh -huh. It's about. It is a fundamentally modernist project. Yeah, yeah. Means, we're always looking forward. That's why this cons yeah. it's conservative and progressive. Yeah. We're trying to and But progress. we're not just looking... We're not the... And one of my favorite, favorite writers, I never like wrote about him. This is sort of, he came into my life well after that. It's a guy called Mark Fisher. Sure. Uh, and he wrote this book. He unfortunately took his own life in 2017. But he was the... He is now probably the most important thinker on the British left of the last few... Of the last sort of couple decades. Um, brilliant, brilliant man. 
Um, and he liked to, he had this idea called popular modernism, sure. which is where the point of the left is a modernist project, which means the attempt to perfect human existence, to perfect ourselves, to make things better for ourselves yeah. by the dint of our common will and effort. And that means taking a leap forward into the unknown. Uh-huh. That means doing something radically new. Yeah, being brave. For example, the NHS. No one had ever done anything like that before. Yeah. It was, and the conservatives said that it was going to be doom and gloom. We shouldn't do it. We shouldn't try it. It'll be a disaster. Everyone's going to die, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. Um, but the, um, but like the Labour Party, who was in power at the time, said, no, we are going to do this. We are going to do something that's never been done before. We are yeah. going to provide health. We're going to decommodify healthcare. We're going to make it not a product you can buy and sell in the market. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to do that. And, what we've done is we took a leap forward into the unknown. We did something new and it worked very well. And now we have this thing. Now we have this great thing. Now yeah. people's lives have been improved. And it's now more... we laugh at America when people have to pay thousands of dollars to get an ambulance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but that's, and so if you then let's even, let's go back again to the idea of balance. Imagine if the, if you're always, always, always on this, trying to create public consensus yeah. for a radical new program to make the world a better place. And every single day you have the burden of proof against conservatives who just have to say, no, it won't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so a, it sounds like you're saying that we need to do away with the burden of public consensus and have a strong leader, <laughs> <laughs> one strong, preferably a man. <laughs> Uh, what I'm saying is, Bill, is William uh, <laughs> Joseph Stalin Shorten should be the prime minister for life. <laughs> the, um, that's it. That what I'm kind of getting from that then the balance thing is that um, you're not so much interested in having a guest on who is is like the opposite of you because that's just rehashing conversations that have been had. You just want to have a like a right wing crazy person on. Yes. So the yeah, yeah. And so the main prerogative. That's so interesting. I didn't realize this, but the main prerogative of the podcast is still comedy. Yeah. But in a very uh in a very educated and and yeah. 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 It's like an educated but it's still comedy. Oh yeah. You want to have the crazy person on so that, that guy can go, oh, I am amazing. Don't call me a bed bug. But here's the difference. I want to make sure that that crazy person is someone like Donald Trump Jr. Yeah, and not yeah. like a random QAnon person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not like a fucking dude that you picked up on the street. Someone yeah. who's still involved in the political process. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why. Donald to- Trump Jr., come on Trash Future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I think that's it. That's a pretty good conclusion for us. Hell yeah. Yeah, that was great fun. Thanks for Yo, coming on, man. Aiden, thank you very much for having me on. This is a great time. Not at all, dog. In the kitchen, she's got a long neck in her hand. She's playing Dictaphone recording of her band The drummer has been playing For nearly seven hours But he hits him with such passion It makes other drummers cower When the night has come All safety pins must come undone But if the house is quiet Well that's because punks are tired for the night if the house is quiet, well, punks retire for the night. You should retire for the night. If the house is quiet, well, that's because 